Hi, everybody. Welcome to 2ZQ Hot Takes, where we discuss issues both big and small. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and this time I'll be talking about cheap thrills, not the self-indulgent, self-destructive type of cheap thrills that wind up costing you a whole lot more than you think when you decide to engage in one of those. Nah, not that. I mean the entertaining stuff, the innocuous stuff, the lighthearted stuff the easy-to-take stuff, the low-brow stuff. I have two specific topics. One's going to be pretty quick. It's amusement parks. I remember three amusement parks growing up as a kid. One was the one and only Palisades Amusement Park in New Jersey. Had a great jingle, had a great commercial on television, Everybody wanted to go there. When you got there, it was everything you wanted it to be. They had live bands performing. They had a giant Ferris wheel looking over the Hudson River. They had everything you could imagine as a little kid. It was mind-boggling, and your eyes would be wide and thrilled to death to be at this place. It was great. I loved it. On Long Island, there was Nunley's and... My personal favorite in Farmingdale on Route 110, Adventureland. It was everything you could possibly imagine in a teen rom-com from the 70s or the 80s. Everything. It was a riot. It was great. And it was all crammed into a relatively confined space, jammed up against the parking lot of a few cottage industry warehouses in a brick-and-mortar industrial park area, roller coasters, a snack bar, a video karaoke booth to record yourself, loads of rides. It was a great cheap date. But I am now going to talk about my experience working in the wine and cheese business. Now, I worked in the restaurant business for a very long time, I wound up going to culinary school. I went to the French Culinary Institute, and I wound up working in, uh, I think, maybe 10, let's say, name restaurants, as they were called, or in the business, you might refer to them as good rooms. I worked at every place from Ansonia to Tapica to Arizona 206 to the Village Atelier to Cafe de Bruxelles to the Aqua Grill and a few more. Community, C.J. Blanda, Bob and Ken's, The Cupping Room. I worked all over Manhattan, and I worked at the Garden City Hotel on Long Island, which is still the best place I've ever worked at. I've never worked with more talented people ever. Uh, it was the most profitable place I ever worked at, and it was a place where I met some really great people and had a good time. I worked in the wine and cheese business at two places. One was D.T. Bryan's. I think it was 368 Hempstead Avenue in West Hempstead. And the other one was the Left Bank Cafe on Austin Boulevard in Island Park. Phone number was 516-432-8872. 
I don't know if you can call that number right now, but it was the Left Bank Cafe. Left Bank Cafe was a very popular wine and cheese place. Wine and cheese places were cheap, but they were lowbrow. You couldn't be pretentious in a wine and cheese place, or could you? You had crepes, you had quiche, you had fondue, you had cheese boards, soup, sanguiche. You had board games. You had live musicians. You had some leftover hippies who would come in. And they were all gnarly people. I mean, they looked like they were uh, gorilla pot farmers or something. A lot of them didn't quite understand that we had a for-profit business model and that sitting in a booth for four people for 2.5 plus hours, having only a shared pot of tea and half of a sliced apple and the demand for a shaker full of cinnamon so that they could sprinkle cinnamon on the apple slices uh, was not exactly conducive to us making a living. And they finally got the hint after the clientele changed around them. But that was uh, problematic. The wine and cheese business itself is not something I remember as ever being pretentious. We sold Mouton Cadet. We sold Muscadet. We sold all the cheap stuff that people really enjoyed. Lambrusco. Twist cap bottles of wine. I think uh, I even sold maybe uh, some strawberry wine. Maybe. Uh, we used to make cheese boards and uh, we would have competitions to see how fast we could actually put them out. Fondue, something that uh, requires a great deal of care and skill in maintaining once it gets to your table. Swiss fondue in particular smells an awful lot like old sneakers if you let it burn, which happens with surprising frequency. Chocolate fondue would burn almost instantaneously, and people had it anyway. People would come in for dessert crepes. Now, a dessert crepe is an interesting animal. We had several different types. One of them was the apple pie crepe. Now, the apple pie crepe was made with apple pie filling that came out of a giant aluminum gallon can full of pre-made apple pie filling that we had with a lid and you'd open it up and scoop it out into this crepe then heat it up slap some ice cream on top of that with some cinnamon and some whipped cream and send it out and people just loved it i don't know what impression they had in their mind of where the apple pie filling came from because there was no baking at all it was just heated up stuff that was pre-made and it was kind of goopy and then there were the ice cream crepes. We had the banana split crepe and another ice cream crepe, which I forget. But they were basically just 
a, a crepe with a huge scoop of ice cream. And I mean like a, like a trowel, like a trowel. We would get and, and take three giant trowelfuls and put it into this crepe and then cover it with whipped cream and syrup. The banana split had a banana split in half and dried banana chips cracked on top of it and a cherry, maybe some pineapple here and there, maybe some nuts. But, ugh. And they were huge. I mean, huge. People loved them. People would love the least bougie, least frou-frou cheeses. The most popular cheeses of all, all, all. Cheddar spread, garlic cheddar, and port wine cheddar. There's a reason you see that semicircular wedge of port wine cheddar in the supermarket in that styrofoam with the saran wrap on it. It's because people like it. People have always liked it. I read something a long time ago. When you plan a party, you can never go wrong with oldies and cheese. And that's the truth. People love cheese. People love oldies. People love old cheese. When we had live performers, we would have to make them end their set so people would leave. Because otherwise, they would sit around and sit around and sit around and we couldn't turn the table over. So we'd have to get these people to finish after 45 minutes so that we could turn the tables over and then go out and find them in the parking lot in their cars while they were getting stoned. <sighs> people would come in to the wine and cheese place that I worked in. First dates, couples getting engaged, and breakups. Breakups were always signaled by a few key words that we'd always hear. Whenever you heard, I don't want to hurt you, People would freeze, the eyes would get big, walk over to the table, and try to remove as much of the tableware as quickly as possible. So no knives, no forks, nothing with a flame, no plates, no glasses, because they would go flying. Flying. I will say that guys are incredibly dumb because they cheat on their girlfriends at the same places they go with their girlfriends and their girlfriends tell their girlfriends about the place they go so their girlfriends' girlfriends go with their boyfriends to the place and see the boyfriends cheating. Guys are just dumb. We would sell sangria. Sangria. People thought sangria had some big mystique. Sangria was sold in a big plastic pitcher with a big wooden spoon and a pitcher jammed with ice, half filled with red jug wine and half filled with 7-Up. Then we would take the bar tray and a cherry or two, a wedge of lemon or two, a wedge of lime or two, a wedge of orange or two, a couple of slices of apple, stir it around, and people loved it. Cheap. Not pretentious. Lowbrow. People loved it. 
when people would get engaged, everyone would always say, oh, because it was cute. It was kind of cheap, too. A guy's getting engaged and he's proposing to his girlfriend at a cheap date. But at least half of the time, more likely two-thirds of the time, the guy wanted to surprise his girlfriend and he would just burst into the kitchen and reach into his pants and <laughs> be a little taken aback because sometimes you really didn't know if it was a guy who was going to pull a ring box out of his fly or something else. And most of the time, it was a guy pulling a ring box out of his fly, and he would try to hand it to someone, and we would say, no, 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 thank you, thank you, thank you, and we would take a plate, and we'd say, here, put it on the plate, and uh, quite often, we would have to tell him to please uh, check the hinge of the uh, ring box, because it might have some uh, body hair sticking out of it, which it did quite frequently. So, uh, we would bring out the plate with the ring on it after he ordered dessert and maybe you'd have a little music playing that was their song from the live performer and everybody would go and then you'd clap yay when she said yes and there'd be a few tears and then a girl would smack her boyfriend on the shoulder how come you are not like that happened all the time Quite frequently, as you were cleaning up after the evening was over, you would find articles of clothing on the floor, under the booth. Sometimes it was girls' underwear. Sometimes it was boys' underwear. Sometimes it was both. Sometimes it was other things. We found a lot of other things. Sometimes you'd have to bang on uh, the restroom door because people were making too much noise in their passion. We had an outdoor cafe with a gazebo and a grape arbor. It was romantic. It was candlelit. People got carried away. Boy, did they get carried away. As fun as it might sound, it could become a bit of a grind. The weird part about it was, for me, well, there were a few weird parts about it, that's for sure. A, wine and cheese was the province of mostly straight people and lesbians. It was not a place gay men would luxuriate in, for the most part. About once a month... The door would open and there would be three overdressed gay men from the nearby gay bar, Cheeks, who had done a whip round and were trying to find some place to sell them some sort of cake to celebrate somebody's birthday. And they had a fistful of money and they were willing to pay full retail for an entire cake. Now we had to tell them we would charge three fifty four or five dollars a slice, which in those days was pretty expensive. 
if you have 12, 14 slices of cake and a cheesecake. And they'd pay it. And you wouldn't see gay men too much at all. Lesbians you would see. Lesbians liked wine and cheese. And this was the 80s, and we were a lot less visible in those days. And uh, when people broke up, the lesbians were the ones you always had the most problems with because they were the most passionate. Guys would get dumped and they would make a tiny little scene and they'd show some sort of physical disgruntlement and they you know, let out a gasp of exasperation or oh, that type of thing. Girls would become very, very upset. And that was rarer than guys. Girls would break up with guys more often than guys would break up with girls. And when lesbians broke up, all hands on deck, it was going to be dramatic. Sorry, ladies, but you were. <laughs> you really, really were. Uh, the other thing was the weirdos who performed. Musicians who played in wine and cheese places were notoriously odd. And I mean odd. Uh, we would do auditions, uh, I think once a month in the afternoon. And we would try to add to our, our rotation of performers that we already had. And uh, a lot of these guys were guys who already had jobs. And some of them were still clinging on to the fantasy that they might somehow someday become a popular performer, even though the best that they were ever going to do was play in this wine and cheese place. Or a couple of other wine and cheese places, but they were never going to go anywhere. And uh, a few of them were spoiled rich weirdos. Or, like, uh, we had a couple who were very much like Will Ferrell and Anna Gastar. And they were... Uh, pseudo-tuxedo type of outfits with lots of frills and uh, huge cuffs and bell-bottoms. And uh, the duos were almost always strange in that they had this incredibly weird diction and phrasing in their singing. And their choice of music was, uh, let's say, esoteric. Uh, the rest of the guys would be playing James Taylor and the Beatles maybe a Bob Dylan song or an Elvis Costello song here and there. And these people were on another plane. And uh, <laughs> we would audition them and maybe give them a night. But again, uh, it was odd because in between sets, they would go out to the parking lot and they'd go in their car. And uh, it was some sort of strange kick for some people. They would become... Uh, passionate in their car, or they would get high, or they would lose track of what they were doing, and very few of them were level-headed and just ready to go. Uh, one guy in particular uh, was uh, eternally hawking his <laughs> screenplay. Another guy would have his uh, students come down and watch him play music, and uh, a few others had their oddball friends who would come to the place late and not understand that we were trying to close up 
and after 1 a.m., eight people sitting around listening to their friend playing the same songs that they've been playing for years is not exactly a party. The other thing I would have to say is that uh, it took all types and it drew all types. When you open up a place for business, you don't know who's coming in the door. It's usually not who you intend. You get the people you intend, but they are not the majority when you first open up. You're attracting loonies because you've got bright lights, you've got shiny things. They have nothing better to do with themselves. They're always alone. They always seem oblivious to the circumstances surrounding them. They always have to be escorted out of the business. And quite often they're on drugs. Oh yes, the drugs. Oh my God, the drugs. So you had that and you also had the very, very weird people who in those days, this is the 80s, would be on perpetual first dates. They would come out, they had some sort of dating service, whatever it was in those days, some sort of matchmaker, whatever it was. I don't know how it worked. It was very uh, uh, a love connection type of thing. Uh, we had one guy who would come in every Friday night with a date. Never, ever, 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 ever in the five years that I worked there did he ever have a second date. Never. We sold, again, we sold lowbrow wine. He would order Matus. Now, I don't think many people even remember Matus. Matus is like saying, I'll have a Harvey Wallbanger. It is inexpensive, affordable wine from Portugal. And I think they make it in vats the size of uh, ocean-going oil tankers. It is not particularly something you would consider vintage. This guy would come in, I think, every Friday night, and he would try to impress his date. I got to give the guy credit for perseverance. He would order a bottle of Matus. We would open it up for him. He'd take a taste and send it back. And then we would promptly take the bottle of Matus, put the cork in it, go into the kitchen, open up the refrigerator, and take out the bottle of Matus that he ordered last week. Bring it out, uncork it. He'd sip it, and he'd say, very well. And then we'd serve him the bottle that he ordered the week before. This was not uncommon. We also had people who would come in for one of those giant dessert crepes and they would change their mind after the order was already in the kitchen because they had seen something that somebody else wanted and because they believed by saying that they knew the owner that gave them some sort of special privilege and we all knew the owner too and we were not particularly impressed The wine and cheese culture was very different and it was happening concurrently to the very popular disco culture happening just across the road. And that was 
the pulsing oomts, oomts, oomts of people from all over the tri-state area, mostly from Brooklyn, coming out to try and get lucky. And there were waterside places, and there was a very popular club that was very popular with somebody who was the son and the associates of a very well-known organized crime figure. So the people who were attracted to that didn't quite collide. But on the odd occasion, they would have some sort of tangential experience. And occasionally, you'd see these poor saps come in at the end of the evening and they try to get a sandwich. You got a sandwich? I got a sandwich. I got, I got something to eat here. And it was like dealing with my cousin Vinny. And we had to explain to them we didn't really have what they were looking for. We didn't have, we couldn't pile on Capicola and, and, and provolone and all these different things on top of, you know, ham, a sopressat. We, we didn't have all that stuff. And they just couldn't understand this. So uh, they would shrug and leave. And they looked sort of like uh, the guys who came up to Alvy Singer and Annie Hall while they're standing outside the movie theater in, in the movie Annie Hall. More frequently than not, a combination of those guys and Joe Pesci. And uh, they were not exactly appropriate for the culture. Anyway, wine and cheese. What a life. I moved away from wine and cheese and I went to go work in a real restaurant. And I found out how little I knew when I worked in a real place. But that's a story for another day. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And as the kitties say, peace out. Thank you.